Dive into our latest courses designed to enhance your bond with your furry friend. Whether you're a seasoned owner or a new puppy parent, there's something for everyone at dogspeak101.com. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Enroll now and take the first step toward a happier, well-behaved dog. Visit dogspeak101.com to browse our course catalog. Get 10% off all courses through February the 14th. Hey guys, and welcome to the Dog Speak Podcast. I am Nikki Ivey, your host. I am thrilled that you are joining me to talk puppies, dog training, real life manners, and more. Be sure to check out our Facebook page as well as our website at dogspeak101.com. Hey, Dog Speak Geeks. Hope you're having a wonderful week so far. Hope you've had an opportunity to get out and work with your dog. Uh, the weather is getting cooler here in Tennessee, and even though uh, we are having wetter days, uh, we've got cooler weather, so it means you have more opportunities to get out and work with your dog. You can't use heat as an excuse anymore. So get out and work your dogs, and I hope you've been enjoying the podcast series that we've been doing this month about talking about dog breeds and their different traits. And I really hope to give you some insight on you know, choosing the right dog for you. Uh, so many times uh, people again, pick dogs that are, you know, they think they're pretty, they like that their neighbor has one and it's a really good dog, but they don't really consider the traits that the dog has and to see if those traits really match up with their personality. And so today we are going to finish up the talking about the breed groups. We're going to be talking about the working dogs and we're also going to talk about a couple of breeds that are not necessarily AKC registered uh, but these dogs are a part of our uh, kind of normal um, environment, uh, so to speak, in the United States. So, when we talk about working dogs, uh, working dogs are uh, usually very large and very strong dogs. Uh, these dogs typically will always have a job that they had been bred to do that they are no longer possibly doing. Uh, now, some of these dogs are still working and doing their jobs, but the majority of these breeds that we're going to talk about, they're not being used for that work, which gives us um, a very high percentage uh, for a potential problem uh, because these dogs are not being used for what they've been trained to do. Uh, a lot of these jobs are things such as uh, guarding, and that may be guarding your property, uh, guarding, um, you know, people. You have dogs that are used to perform rescues, uh, such as water rescue. Uh, you've got some dogs that were specifically used uh, to work with avalanche rescue, uh, things of that nature. Um, and of course, you've got dogs in the working class that were bred to pull sleds. So you can probably get an idea of what some of the breeds are that we're going to be talking about today. Um, these guys are very smart. Uh, they're very quick to learn. They make very solid companions if you've got the right temperament for them. Uh, most of these guys are unsuitable as pets for your average family um, because they are very strong, very big, and a lot of people just don't have the preparedness 
to meet those needs. Um, I find it fascinating when we get uh, people that maybe, you know, have a small frame and, you know, they get themselves, uh, you know, a mastiff and then complain that they can't control the mastiff. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is at some point that mastiff was controllable when it comes to strength and size, which is why training is so important that you start early. And again, another reason why we do not uh, encourage people to physically try and control your dog. You know, if you have a large dog and you feel the need to put an aversive collar on them, like a prong collar or a choke chain because you can't control them, that's really not fair to your dog uh, because you made a choice uh, to, to get a dog of that size, of that statue, and, and it is our responsibility to make sure that we get that training done in the most uh, force-free way possible. So I know some of you are probably like, well, you know, but I love this dog and, and everything is great with this dog. And if I can just put a prong collar on this dog, everything's fine. But it's not fine because uh, eventually that dog is going to start having some reactivity with that prong collar uh, just because of the discomfort that the dog does feel whenever, you know, there's a, a small tug, a pull, um, a leash correction, whatever the case may be. And even if you tell me, well, it, you know, I never have to use it. Well, just having it on the dog means you have to use it. And I guarantee that that dog is feeling some discomfort to it. So I really encourage people to, you know, if you, if you want a big, massive dog, that that's a personal preference. I just encourage you to start training immediately. You begin training leash walking skills. You begin training off leash skills, uh, good response so that you're not having to physically control the dog. So let's start out talking about a few of these breeds that, you know, are pretty well known and that we see often. And, and we're going to start out, I, I typically will just do it in alphabetical order, uh, but we're going to start out with the Akita. Now we don't see as many Akitas these days, but I will tell you the ones I have seen um, have not been very, um, they've not made very good pets. I've dealt with several that have been aggressive um, and even aggressive to the family members. Um, Akitas are very wary of strangers already. So if they don't get the socialization that they need, you are going to set yourself up for problems in the long run. Um, and they are often intolerant of other animals. So if you have cats, if you live at a place where there are a lot of small dogs, or you live in a place with a lot of squirrels, rabbits, Akita may not be the best um, you know, decision for you. Um, they do make really good companions with their human, and they usually will pick one human that they prefer, even though they can be good with the family, because um, they'll be very prote very protective. But you have to socialize these guys. If you socialize them as puppies, that natural instinct of protection is still going to occur. That is definitely not going to be an issue. You can't take that away from the Akita. It's there socialization early on and socialization with as many different types of people um, and animals is helping you to be successful in that you don't uh, have your Akita tip over into the dangerous area instead of just doing a very confident, um, you know, protection of the family in a way that you can still be in control. Uh, so that's why you have to be careful. So many times people want to 
you know, keep their protective dogs not as well socialized to make them more protective. And that is totally opposite. They need to be socialized. You don't create protectiveness in a dog. Um, they have that gene is there. You need to, you know, embrace that gene, but know what you're getting and know that you need to control it. Okay, so let's move on to the Alaskan Malamute. Uh, these, these dogs are just beautiful. You know, people see them and they think, oh, you know, it looks like a wolf and they're just so pretty in their eyes. And they are. They are absolutely beautiful dogs. Um, but they were actually bred to be sled dogs. Um, they are very strong dogs. They are pack-oriented uh, because you have to work as a team whenever you're pulling sleds. Uh, they can be very playful, but they're also very, very much a work-oriented dog. So if you don't, you know, give your Alaska Malamute something to do, you don't give them something to pull, um, like, you know, maybe pulling a, uh, you know, maybe their own type of sled. Um, and there's a lot of new kind of sports, I will say new, they're not really that new, uh, sports out there called drafting, where, you know, a dog basically will pull a cart. And so that is something that, if you have an Alaska Malamute and, and you're not pulling a sled across frozen tundra, this is something that you could possibly, you know, get your dog to do. Otherwise, you're going to be the sled on the other end of that leash that that dog is going to want to pull. Um, again, these Alaska Malamutes um, and even like Akitas, I don't think are very good for uh, warm weather. So if you have, if you live in a place where warm weather is more prevalent, uh, they're not always the best candidate for that. Um, I would definitely stick them somewhere where it's closer to a cooler climate um, than, you know, say in Middle Tennessee. The Bernese Mountain Dog, these dogs are absolutely just amazing dogs, but they, they thrive in cold weather. They are not really for the warm weather, and I do see quite a few here in Middle Tennessee, uh, and they're great when it comes to fall and winter, but <laughs> in the summertime, it's not so good for them. Uh, these guys were actually uh, used on the farms and pastures in Switzerland, and so you can imagine when we get them, we don't necessarily have that farm or that pasture. Uh, and so they don't get that work. Uh, these guys are very gentle with children. Um, and they are really good with their family members. They will typically attach themselves to one. Um, but they are good overall family members. And they are aloof to strangers. Uh, because as working dogs, you know, they were all meant to work on you typically a farm um, a lot of times. And so... It wasn't important that they embrace strangers, so to speak. So a lot of these guys still have those traits to where strangers are not a priority for them to uh, get involved with, right? It's not like a golden retriever who's like, everybody's here to pet me. Uh, so a lot of you'll find a lot of these working breeds do have that same trait to where they're a little more aloof to strangers. Um, boxers. I see a lot of boxers. We get a lot of boxers uh, as clients. Um, you know, they are very playful and they're beautiful. You know, they're just really uh, a, a kind of a majestic dog. But believe it or not, boxers were also um, used as uh, protectors. And so that is something natural they do, even though they're playful and fun-loving and they're great with children. Uh, they are still protective. So if you don't get them socialized, if you don't get that control, you're going to end up with a few problems. And we do see quite a few with some aggression issues. Um, but overall, uh, the boxers, the majority of problems we see with them is just lack of self-control. They are definitely a high arousal breed. And then we have our bull mastiff. Um, this is actually a bulldog mastiff mix. 
um, you know, that it, they'd been around for a long time. Uh, they were um, actually bred to pursue and hold um, poachers in England. And I love when I'm doing some of this research. I mean, I know a lot of dogs and their traits, but sometimes getting to read their history and what they're really are for or were used for has been fascinating for me. So I've actually really enjoyed this. Um, but yeah, bull mastiffs were used to uh, pursue and hold uh, poachers in England. So who knew? So that means that these guys are naturally going to be protective. Uh, so you have to be prepared for that. And, and obviously they're really big dogs. So you have to be prepared on that end as well. Uh, the cane corso also, you hear people say the, the cane corso, um, you know, these guys have not been around very long as far as being used as pets in the United States. The ones that have have not necessarily had the best reputation. Uh, these guys are very smart. They're very trainable, but they're also very strong. Um, and that is physically, mentally. Uh, these dogs go back to Roman times. And uh, their name actually roughly translates to bodyguard dogs. They're very assertive, very willful. Uh, they are not for everyone. Um, I believe that, you know, people do love the look of them, and they are just absolutely just, I mean, studs. But they will absolutely cause all kinds of problems if they have an, an owner, a handler that does not know what they're doing, that does not have the ability to work with them. So this is, again, where we have to be very careful that we may love a breed and we may love the way they look and we know somebody who has a pretty one and they're so well-mannered. That doesn't mean that that's going to be the right dog for you. Uh, and you do not want to see these dogs uh, turn into something uh, that, that gives them a bad name. And unfortunately, we have seen a lot of stories and a lot of things on these dogs that... Uh, they are, are not the best pets, let's say, for most families. Okay, so the Doberman. You know, Dobermans have been around for a long time, and they used to be really, really popular. They're not as popular these days. I'm starting to see them come back. Uh, I know we went through a period of time where we really didn't have many of them at all, and, but I'm starting to see a lot more. These dogs are strictly for protection. Um, I mean, that's not much else you can say about them. They are all about protection. So socialization is very important. Uh, confidence, make sure they have that confidence. I'm seeing a lot of them with a lack of confidence. I'm starting to see a lot of them that don't have this, the traits that a real Doberman would have, which is that protective nature, that confidence, um, and that ability to protect the family. Uh, mostly what I see is, is based off of fear, and they're really protecting themselves off of fear. Uh, not necessarily the family. Now let's talk about the schnauzer. Uh, this is the standard and the giant schnauzer I'm going to put in together. Um, these guys are, um, they are very high-spirited. <laughs> They're a farm dog actually out of Germany. They're very sociable, uh, but they are watchdogs. They have a high prey drive, uh, right? So if you have a schnauzer and you have cats, it's probably not going to be the best case scenario unless they grow up together. Uh, the giant schnauzer is just a more powerful version of the standard, uh, which means they're, they're both really good with kids. Uh, they're both very athletic, um, but again, they're protective in nature. Um, and, and again, I have to say that high prey drive. So you have a schnauzer, you're walking down the street, cat crosses your path, and the dog almost takes your arm off. 
Well, don't get mad at the dog. It's the trait that the dog has. And again, people get these dogs because they're pretty, but they don't realize exactly what their natural instincts and those natural traits and those, you know, that gene expression um, is for that particular breed. So definitely please do your research. Um, your Great Dane. I adore Great Danes. I think that they are one of the most phenomenal dogs. I think they are just probably one of the sweetest dogs, the most sweetest, uh, sweet natured dogs that, uh, that are out there. They're very patient. They love their people. They want to do everything right. Uh, the problem is that they're really big and, um, they can protect your home. They'll be a very, uh, they're, they're very alert to, uh, things that are happening around the home and right outside the home. So even though they may not be that big protector, if somebody comes into the home, they're certainly going to let you know that someone is near. Uh, again, these guys are strong, so you have to be prepared um, for strength. You know, many of these dogs, when they stand up on their back legs, are taller than most humans. So you have to be uh, prepared for that size. Even as puppies, they're already getting strong. Your Great Pyrenees. Now, we are seeing a lot of Great Pyrenees as pets. I absolutely do not recommend Great Pyrenees as pets. I think they make horrible pets. Um, I have not seen one yet that is a pet that doesn't have some type of behavior problem. A lot of fear, aggression with these guys. I'm seeing biting with these guys. Um, I'm really seeing a lot of issues. Now, could that be the owners or is it because the Great Pyrenees itself is not meant to be a pet, but just a guardian? And that's the true fact. I think that Great Pyrenees are still used to this day to protect livestock and they're still being used as working dogs and I think a lot of the, the Pyrenees that um, people find as strays or end up you know picking up from you know the side of the road or from a rescue these dogs were probably bred as a working dog but either did not do a very good job or they ended up getting out and just roaming around. Now a, a, Please don't be sending me any like hate email here with Great Pyrenees lovers. I think that there is always that exception to the rule. Um, I know one or two that are exception to the rule that have made really nice pets and, um, and are living a great life. But overall, I do not think they make good house pets. Uh, they're barky. Uh, they are a more of a nighttime dog where they're going to want to roam the perimeter and protect the perimeter and protect the territory and protect the little sheep, uh, which would be you. Uh, so, you know, they may be calm, say, during the day and pretty uh, relaxed whenever you're wanting to do things, but at nighttime when you're ready for sleep, they're ready to get up and go. Uh, we see a lot of dogs with excessive barking issues, especially if you live in a neighborhood where things are very active. Uh, these Great Pyrenees are going to bark constantly because they're protecting their territory and they're protecting that area. And the way they do that is, is they're going to bark. So don't be fooled by the really cute fluffiness. They do make absolutely precious puppies. But please don't be fooled by that um, into where you bring one into the home and then you're like, well, I don't know what to do with this and we have a barking issue. Well, yeah, because you have a Pyrenees and that is what they do. And you live in a neighborhood that has... 45 children a day running past your house along with other dogs and cats. Not the best scenario. Um, greater Swiss Mountain Dogs, 
uh, real similar to the Burnings Mountain Dog. Uh, these guys were used um, as for herding and uh, draft dogs, and that's just the drafters of pulling things. Um, they were just all-around pasture dogs. Uh, I haven't seen one in a long time. See more Bernese Mountain Dogs than I do the Greater Swiss, but they're they're also very big and strong dogs. Uh, your Mastiff. Uh, these guys are massive. <laughs> I mean, the Mastiff is massive. They have a lot of strength, but they're very docile and they're very dignified. Um, but they are formidable protectors. You have to be prepared. You have to be prepared to have control of them physically, um, meaning that you can't, you know, you can walk them down on a leash or walk them around on a leash and not get pulled down, um, you know, on your face. They are patient and very lovable, but again, they're protectors and they're big. So you've got to have that control. And that control should be verbally, not physically, but you need to have the physical ability to handle the Mastiff if need be. All right, then you have your Rottweiler. This is my breed. Now, I love me some Rottweilers. Uh, these guys are very natural at um, protection. Uh, that's main one that they were bred for. They're actually descended from Mastiffs. Uh, not quite as big as the Mastiff, uh, but they're calm. They're confident. Uh, they're courageous. Um, they don't, you know, need to go overboard with their aggressiveness. If you have one that is showing uh, more aggression, that is abnormal. Uh, you know, a lot of people get afraid with Rottweilers, and the thing is, is that. I think they make one of the best family pets if someone is going to start training early. Uh, they're very stubborn, and when I say stubborn, it's that tenacity. It's just like what most working dogs should be, of I'm not going to give up just because it's hard. But you definitely want to have early socialization, early training. Um, you need to harness all that beauty that the Rottweiler has so that you don't get yourself into trouble later on. Most of the time, Rottweilers will have their natural protection and natural guarding will start happening around a year of age. You don't have to teach it. It's there. You just got to make sure that you have that control, uh, that you can get your dog to do what they need to do to keep everyone safe. Uh, but love the Rottweiler. I've, I've had three of them. Um, I've worked two of them in search and rescue and recovery. And I just think they're phenomenal dogs. Uh, and, you know, I said this is my last one for a while, but I've been seeing some Roddy puppies. Oh, and his clients. And it's um, it's making me want another one because uh, they really are an amazing breed. And one thing that I can say about the Roddy is I can go hiking by myself with my Rottweiler and know that no one's going to mess with me. Um, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, so I can see why there are a lot of people that are really interested in these working dogs and these big formidable formidable dogs because people, you know, feel safer. It's just we need to make sure that uh, the dog is well trained and well behaved. So the dog doesn't get in trouble and you don't get in trouble. Okay, for the last two, we're going to talk about the St. Bernard. Um, beautiful dogs, lots of hair, big heads, slobbery, um, but they are just, they're really just great dogs. They're very patient. They're calm. Um, they're great with children. Um, they're watchful. Uh, but they have been used uh, for rescue, avalanche rescue and things of that. And I do think that St. Bernard's do better in the cooler um, states and the cooler part of the country. Don't necessarily think that they are a great addition to our uh, Tennessee heat. Um, although I do see quite a few of them. And then the husky. Oh, so many people have huskies because they see all these videos of these huskies that talk and they're, you know, they're full of personality and they're funny and they're cute and they're beautiful and their eyes are beautiful. But please be aware 
These dogs were meant, they were bred to pull sleds. They were bred to pull sleds. I'm going to say this again. They were bred to pull sleds over vast frozen expanses, right? So it's all about cold. It's running. It's pulling. Um, they're friendly and, and they're dignified, but they were bred to pull sleds at a moderate speed over vast frozen areas. So when you get a husky and you come to me and you say, oh my God, my dog is pulling me everywhere. Huh? I wonder why. Because I'm a smart aleck like that. So if you're not planning on uh, giving your husky an outlet for pulling, um, whether that's pulling a cart or whatever you find, uh, then you're going to have some problems. Um, and that dog is going to get bored. The dog is going to get frustrated. And anytime it gets a chance to run, you're not going to see it for a while. It's going to run off. A lot of people say, well, you can't have a husky off leash. Yes, you can, but you have to train the dog. You can't just hope that it's going to be a people pleaser like the Great Dane. It's not going to. It wants to run. It was bred to run. It was bred to pull. And it was bred to work alongside other huskies. So um, please be aware before you get a husky um, of what they truly need. And they don't do well in warm weather. Uh, so they're pretty. They have beautiful eyes. They, they have great personalities. Uh, they're funny. They talk. It's all wonderful. But please understand what they were bred for. Um, so you can't get, you know, so mad and frustrated because they keep pulling you down the street. Uh, training is a must for these guys. And starting the sooner, the better. Uh, again, not a, I'm not a huge proponent of these as pets, but, um, but if you're going to give them an outlet, then I think that you are um, at least well on your way to having a decent husky. Okay, so that's kind of what the AKC has as a working breed. I'm going to quickly go through just a few more um, that are kind of more of a miscellaneous or they're not AKC eligible, but uh, they are recognized just while they're, I guess, improving themselves, uh, whatever the case may be. I'm not that familiar with the whole AKC registration and, and what it requires and how they go about it. Um, for me, it's, you know, I'm using it just to... Um, help you understand the different types of dogs and the different traits that each has uh, based on the group and um, and things of that nature. So um, forgive me for not being um, as knowledgeable as you may want me to be, but uh, I'm not really that interested in the whole AKC thing. Uh, so first one is the Dutch Shepherd. And the only reason I brought this one up is because I'm starting to see a few more people are looking around at these Shepherds and trying to go beyond German Shepherd and going to a little different. And the Dutch Shepherd is one that I'm seeing. Uh, these dogs have a lot of energy and they were used specifically for herding. So be prepared, uh, just like the German Shepherd. Um, if you are going to have any type of Shepherd, just know that they are herders that's what it that's what they do that's what they were bred to do so be prepared for that a uh, few others that are part of the foundation stock service of the AKC that I wanted to mention just because I'm starting to see a few uh, the American Bulldog uh, this is a very well-balanced athletic dog uh, they have great strength and great endurance so if you are a homebody and you like to sit and watch tv this is not the dog for you uh, they're very agile they're very friendly um, and they were actually historically bred to be a utility dog used for farms. 
so if you're not prepared to meet those needs, no matter how much you really like um, their athletic look, uh, they may not be the right dog for you. The Carolina dog, uh, which you're finding mostly around the Carolinas and around the borders around Carolina, uh, they're loyal, they're very independent, they're very reserved with strangers. Um, they are a sighthound. So you have to be prepared for that. Uh, but they're a little bit smaller than most of your sighthounds. They do have a pack mentality and they can be protective. So uh, if you have a Carolina dog, just know that they're a sighthound. They're going to see something. They're going to want to go. So there's that, that prey and hunt drive is going to be a little bit higher than what you, you would get maybe out of some other dogs that look similar. Your Catahoula leopard dog these dogs are very loyal, very independent. I see a lot of what people are trying to say, Catahoula mixes. Uh, can't really guarantee that they are, but um, either case, the Catahoula, um, they're very watchful, um, and uh, they're very independent, and they're very territorial. Uh, they are affectionate to their family um, and protective of their family, very loyal, but you got to watch it because um, they're going to be more protective than what you could you would possibly be prepared for. I mean, I've mentioned a lot of these working dogs. They're protective in nature, but they've also been bred so much that I don't think that that is as big of a piece of, a, of the pie for, for most of these dogs. Uh, where protective's there, but it's a smaller piece of that pie. Whereas a dog like the Catahoula, you're not seeing as much. So that means that the, the piece of the pie for protection is going to be a little bit bigger because they've not been bred and overbred and overbred to where we're losing that. Uh, so you just have to be prepared. If you if you want a dog that's going to be outgoing and friendly and, and wanting to hang out with all your buddies, the Catahoula may not be the right choice for you, even though they're super, super pretty. Uh, so that's it. I try to keep this under, you know, 20, 25 minutes is where I try to go. This one went a little bit longer, but I didn't feel like I need to do a separate podcast on the miscellaneous uh, breeds. Uh, but I did want to kind of get that out because the working breed group is, you know, what we see a lot of. We see a lot of herding dogs as pets and a lot of working dogs as pets. And again, they can make good pets, but you got to make sure you give them that outlet. Okay, so I kind of got through that. It went a lot longer than I really expected and wanted to, to go. Um, I'm a little under the weather today while I'm, I'm recording this, so just forgive me if, if you've heard me sniffle a little bit. Um, or just, you know, being a little rough on my voice. But I hope you guys have enjoyed the series because I, I do think it's important that you understand the breed characteristics and the traits that they have and not just look at the physical attributes um, of a dog. And, of course, I always look at canine first, and then I look at breed. Uh, so, you know, all canines communicate the same way, but the breed is where you're going to get um, each canine's going to have different desires, needs, and wants. So keep that in mind when you're looking for your next dog, or if you have a dog of any of the ones I've mentioned, now you may know why your dog does what it does so that you don't get so mad at it and you find another way to uh, allow your dog to uh, get that out of their system in a, in a more constructive and positive way. And if you need some ideas on that, I do recommend you check out our podcast episode on enrichment. Uh, and find some ways to give your dog the stimulation it needs mentally and physically. All right, guys, I hope you've enjoyed it. hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, if you have any uh, suggestions for podcasts, if you have any comments, 
uh, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at dogspeak101.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us there and check out our videos online. We also have some online courses on udemy.com. Uh, we really encourage you to go and do that. And we hope to see you in person someday soon. If you need uh, any help, please reach out to us. We are here to you, for you, to make you a better dog owner for your dog. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week.